Okay, you guys are thankful this morning. JP, can you try to work on some of that feedback on the mic? Do whatever you can. See, I'll hear something. But anyways, good morning. Good to see you guys. If I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell Welch. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and just super thankful you guys decided to join us this morning. I'd love to connect with you here and let you know a little bit about our uh, church and just get to hear your story. We are people that are committed to pursuing Jesus, loving each other, and living on mission. And we'd love to have you guys just get more plugged in and involved if you guys want to. So come say what's up after the service at the Connect booth. But before the message, got a couple um, things I want to announce and things I want to do here. So tomorrow marks a pretty big day for our college students. Um, we got college uh, starting tomorrow. So if you are a college student, will you just raise your hand, wave to us real quick? Awesome. Hey, you know what? Let's... Let's do this. Let's have our college students stand up real quick. I'm not going to embarrass you. We just want to tell you we're proud of you. We believe in you. And we want to pray over you. Last week, we got to pray over our teachers. And as they uh, kicked off the school year, the public school system. So students, we want to pray over you, okay? Just for God's blessing over this next semester. Sound good? So if you're around one of these people, why don't you put a hand on their shoulder or something around them? We just want to bless them. If you're not around them, that's okay. Just extend your hand to them. And you guys agree with me. Lord, we thank you for every single one of these amazing college students. God, we thank you so much for what you have for them in this next semester and school year. And Father, I pray that there would be a confidence that just wells up in them, that you are with them. As the start of the, of the semester tomorrow, but Lord, you will be there with them in week four and five when exams start hitting. You'll be with them in finals. You'll be with them everywhere in between. And I thank you for your grace over them. Would you guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus? And Lord, I pray this would be such a fruitful semester, fruitful year that they're entering into. We bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Love you guys. We're excited for this next semester. It's going to be good. Have faith for that. All right, another uh, quick announcement that I'm super excited about. For the first time ever, we are going to host a little conference that we call World Mandate, all right? So uh, how many of you guys have been to a World Mandate before? It's about maybe a fourth of you guys, a third of you guys. So World Mandate is uh, Antioch's kind of annual conference where we gather together, we set apart a weekend, we get in the presence of God, just like we did this morning, but in extended times where we just be with him and seek him, but also we hear messages that stir us for what he's doing around the world. How many of you guys know that God is moving around the world? You guys believe that? He's alive and he's active, and we as his people, his church, though just a small group of us here in Northwest Arkansas, we can participate and partner with what God's doing all over the earth. And this conference, God has used it for several years. It's not about the conference. It's about Jesus. But sometimes Jesus uses conferences to mark us and to impact us. And me and my wife, our lives were impacted by going to several of these world mandates. And so what world mandate is, it's uh, the kind of gathering of the Antioch movement where there's, there's about, if you're not familiar with Antioch, there's about 40 churches in the U.S., uh, within our movement of churches and then several uh, teams, about 100 teams overseas that are just committed to the same vision and values. And this every year is when we get to gather together, worship God, and get stirred again. The kind of main site is in Waco, Texas, but we're going to kind of host our own little site here. We're going to do our own live worship with our incredible worship team. And then we're going to live stream in some of the speakers and the messages, and it's going to be a great time. So uh, it's happening October 1st and 2nd. I know you guys are looking at the slide over here. And um, it's, it's $35 to, to go. And here's, here's two little incentives, all right? If you sign up today, you ready? I think that's on there. If you sign up today, you get a free T-shirt with your little registration, all right? Which 
Maggie's creating some cool design t-shirt uh, that looks really awesome that you're going to want. I don't think we have a picture of it, but it's going to be great. Yes, Maggie, it's going to be good. Trust us. She makes good stuff. And then if you sign up before uh, September 1st, then your name's going to be put in there for a little drawing to win a gift card, not $5, not $10, $50 gift card to Onyx. Wow, that's right. <laughs> thought you'd be excited about that. I have it in my hand right here. For now, it's mine. But if you sign up, which I will sign up probably today. Uh, so I'm going to get a free shirt and put my name in here. No, I'm just kidding. I can't win. Uh, but $50 gift card if you sign up before uh, September 1st. We'll remind you again next Sunday, but I know you guys would want that because I know you drink coffee. I see all of you. Hold up your coffee if you got some. All right, I see several. All right. Okay, last but not least. So yeah, World Medic. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a powerful, rich time, marking time for our church family. So I encourage you guys to be there. Last announcement for the message is next Sunday, I'm going to be kicking off a new series that I'm titling Worthy is the Lamb. Everybody say, Worthy is the Lamb. Look at somebody next to you and say, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. I am excited to dive into this, and I just want us as a church family to rediscover the beauty, the glory, the worth of Jesus, because He is it. He is everything. And when we understand who He is, when we get glimpses of how worthy He is, it changes us. Instead of coming to Him with all of our problems all the time and just being only inward focused, when we get, we look up at Him, He makes everything make more sense. And he brings life and he brings freedom to us. And so we're going to look at him, how worthy he is, why is he worthy, look at different attributes of who he is, and then in response to that, how, how do we live? How do we respond? So we're going to dive into that for the next several weeks. Worthy is the lamb. I took that from Revelation 5. I'm going to kind of close out this morning by reading that, that passage where I get this little phrase from, but he's worthy. Amen? Look at somebody one more time and say, worthy is the lamb. Go ahead. Tell him. He's that worthy. All right. Well, here we go. This Sunday, uh, my message is going to be a little bit different, but I don't think I'm going to say anything uh, too new. But really what I want to do as we're starting off a new semester for all the college students, this is kind of summer is coming to a close and we're getting into rhythms. I wanted to take this message this morning and kind of recenter us on our main kind of vision and values. I'm calling this little Vision Sunday, okay? Vision Sunday. I want to recenter us, realign us on who is God and what has he called us to do? What has he called us to be as a church family? And I feel like this morning is an opportunity for us to recommit again and say, hey, I'm in, not just to a local church, but I'm in to the things of God. I'm in for living wholeheartedly for him. I'm in for being committed to a church family that's, that's surrendered to him. I'm in again. It's an opportunity for us to, to recommit. But let me, let me back up for a lot of you guys that are newer. This will be helpful and insightful to know where we came from. And for those of you that have been with us from the beginning, this will be just a little recap into our history, okay? So stick with me and, and just listen up again. I want us to be re-inspired again this morning that God's with us. So let me just tell you a little, little story of how we got here. Um, first, let me start with our name, Antioch. You guys know that we did not make up that name, right? Where is it found first? <laughs> the Bible, the book of Acts, Acts 11 and 13. It was one of the cities, one of the many cities that uh, the believers were in. And this city in particular, there's descriptions in Acts 11 of, of people that were wholeheartedly pursuing the Lord. The grace of the Lord was on them. They were people of prayer and fasting and worship and seeking God. It was multi-ethnic, multi-generational. And there is just something special that was on this people. It was a place where they were, Christians were first called Christians. 
This is Acts 11, Acts chapter 13. But also, it was a place where Paul started pretty much all of his missionary journeys. You know, that he was sent out to different cities to plant churches and plant churches. And so we get this name, and this is kind of our, our vision, so to speak. If we want to be a place where the presence of God dwells, his grace is on us. Our lives are being transformed. We're in a multi-generational, multi-ethnic community that has diversity, but we're growing together in the grace of God. And then what we're seeing here is multiplied out. And so we are a part of it, like I said, a movement of churches that multiplies out all over the nation, all over the earth. And uh, for our journey in particular here in Northwest Arkansas, it started, I would say, uh, in about 2017. Uh, me and my wife and a few others lived in a little town called College Station, Texas. And we were leading a ministry, a college ministry there when God began to speak to us about planting a church up here in Arkansas. And I went from January 2017 to March 2017 to really knowing nothing about North Arkansas to being convinced that God had spoken to us to move here and plant a church in a little three-month window. And in that three-month window, there was a lot of amazing and divine things that God did and dramatic, prophetic events that happened that confirmed it. And then we went on this journey of it being confirmed over and over again by those that were leading us and our elders to, hey, we're sending you out to go plant this church. Now, here's the deal. You guys understand something. We really liked what we were doing in Texas. We were part of an amazing church that was really healthy. We loved the leadership and the covering there. We weren't trying to get out of it. I loved my job. We were seeing a lot of great fruit. But you know what trumps a lot of things going well? What trumps that is obedience to Jesus. And we had this commitment that my life is not mine. I don't live for just doing things that I like. I don't live for just doing things that I enjoy. I live for you, God. You can do whatever you want with me. And if you want us to go somewhere we've never lived before, we know nothing about to start something, sure. Even if I don't think we can do it, sure, I'll go because I love you. I love you. I'm yours. I'm not mine. So this whole thing started with a desire to obey Jesus, to live, <laughs> I'm going to get emotional, to live radically for him. And I believe that there is a people, you in this room, you're here because you, wanna, you have a hunger to be radically obedient to the Lord. And who knows what God can do with the people that are fully surrendered to him. Something that God spoke to me, I think, around this same time, that the possibilities are endless with the people that are fully surrendered to Jesus. In this room of 50, 60, 70 people, if we just say yes to him, my life is his, not my own, we will be in awe just a few years from now of what he does to this group of people. So that's where it started. And we walked through a lot of process and confirmation and preparation to move here. And we started inviting some people to join us uh, from Texas that we were doing ministry with. And um, in fact, let me, let me see where you're at. If you were a part of the college ministry that my wife and I were leading in College Station, will you just stand up real quick? Stand up real quick. Can you please give it up for these amazing people real quick? Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing just for a second. <clears throat> I want to just honor these people for a second. These folks here made a big sacrifice. They gave up jobs. They gave up relationships. They gave up roots to move here, a place that no one had been to before. You haven't even been here, right? <laughs> um, and because they believed that it was worth it to obey Jesus, and because they believe that God wanted to do something special here. And I just want you guys to know I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for taking a crazy risk to follow us up here to see God move. And church family, these are not elite people. 
Okay, they're incredible, they're servant-hearted, they're great, but they're like also unimpressive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quirky, you know. Um, and then, you know, there's two ways to look at these folks. It's, it's oh, the Texas people, come on, this is Arkansas. Or you can be thankful that these people gave up a lot so that we could have what we have here on Sunday morning. And so I want to encourage the church family to be thankful for these guys. Let's give it up one more time for these incredible people. Thank you for moving here, guys. And we came again. We're an unimpressive group of people just committed to obeying and following Jesus. And we came here to not prove anything, not to make a name for ourselves. But we came here not confident in our own ability, but confident that God was going to be faithful, that God was going to show up. That God is God and he is big and he has big plans when we say yes to him. And what do we come here to see? In short, the best summary I can, I can communicate is we came here to see revival. We came here to see an outpouring of God's spirit that's never touched northwest Arkansas before. We came here to see his kingdom come and his will be done. We came here to see many people come to know his love, his goodness, his presence and be transformed by it. We came here to partner with those that have been laboring for decades. We're not the only church in town. We're not here to come and prove that we're better. We're here to partner with our brothers and sisters that are meeting this morning as well to make disciples and to advance his kingdom. And we're here to mobilize and partner and help us partner with the mission of God, to mobilize the church and help us partner in mission, on the mission of God. There's so many of us that maybe just a couple years ago we were attending and, 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 and following Jesus, but maybe you have felt this like empowerment of, I want to go and I want to make disciples. I want to go and I want to be a part of advancing God's kingdom. And that is exactly what we came here to do. And I've got great news, guys. Great news is that we are seeing these things begin to happen. We are seeing these things begin to happen. A few days ago marked two years of us doing our very first kind of, I guess, big event. We called it a dinner party, August 18th, 2019. We did a little dinner party at my house. We had a lot of food there. We did some worship. We cast a vision for what we're believing for. How many of you guys were there at the very beginning at that little dinner party? Raise your hand, okay? There's several more than just the folks that moved. All right. Awesome. And that was the launch or the beginning of our starting our life groups. We started a few life groups. Now, listen, the last two years, what a journey it has been. Learning to plant a church in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, learning to plant a church in a, uh, a political climate that's been more hostile than it has in decades, learning to plant a church and, and create a, a culture and a community in the midst of uh, just social justice issues and personal tragedies and all sorts of opinions on a variety of things and a divisive spirit that has caused many people to just kind of check out of the fight. It's been a wild ride. But I do need to ask you a question. In the midst of hardship, how many of you know that God is still God and that he still moves? Is that true? Yes, and we have seen his faithful hand over just our community, but also all the things that he is doing all over northwest Arkansas. And this morning, I mean, just is a testimony of it, the richness of God's presence. Tell me I'm not the only one in this room that was like, wow, God's here. <laughs> Did anybody else feel that? Okay, he's here, he's with us. And he's moving, and these are just little, little um, tastes of what he wants to continue to pour out in our midst and all over this region. And so this morning, I, I want us to kind of recenter again on what has he called us to do and how has he called us to live. And what, God has been speaking to us a lot through the book of Joshua. So go ahead and start turning there if you've got a Bible with you. 
turn to the book of Joshua real quick. And I just believe that God is leading our church family into a new season with a lot of hope and a lot of grace. And we're going to, and God's been speaking to us from Joshua chapter 5 and some things that he is highlighting for us right now. And I just want to recenter us again and give us fresh vision as we go into this fall semester. So Joshua chapter 5, as you guys are turning there, let me give you a little context. So the nation of Israel had just left Egypt about 40 years ago, and they were wandering through the wilderness. At this point, Joshua 5, Moses had just recently died, and leadership was transferred over to Joshua, and they were about to enter the promised land. But before they did that, the Lord had a few things he wanted to communicate to Joshua and to communicate to the people of Israel, okay? Also, chapter 5 is right before uh, chapter 6. Look at that. And in chapter 6, that's the story of the walls of Jericho coming down. How many guys, Sunday school, you remember that story? Walls of Jericho came crashing down. Is there a song or something to that? If so, I don't, I don't know. I didn't pay attention to Sunday school. All right. So here we go. Let me, uh, before I read Joshua 5 and do what I'm about to do, let me give a few disclaimers. Because I'm about to do something with this passage of scripture that has some no-nos to it, but let me explain. So when you study scripture, it is really helpful to understand the context of what you're studying, okay? And, and who is it written to? Who wrote it? And what's, what's going on? That's why I just gave you a little bit of history of what's, what's happening here, okay? And so uh, as, as we are going to get to a point of what could God be speaking to us through this, I want us to realize that we, God did not write Joshua chapter 5 to Antioch, Northwest Arkansas, okay? He wrote this to the people of Israel with what's going on there. And also, just to be clear, we are not the Israelites. I'm not Joshua. And if you look at that first subtitle, no one's going to be circumcised today, okay? <laughs> Praise God. So just a little context here. All right. How, however, though everything I just said was true, God oftentimes, through any passage of Scripture, can speak to teach us things, teach us principles, even uh, emphasize things in different seasons, and even give us some prophetic insight and direction into maybe some things that he's speaking to us. And so that's, that's what this is this morning, as I feel like the Lord is, is highlighting a few things. And here's how I'm going to break this down. There's kind of three sections to Joshua chapter 5. And um, the first part, it talks about this new generation that's being circumcised. The second part is a, a few words about entering into Canaan. And the third part, the last part, is Joshua has this encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. All right? And so this morning, I'm going to break those three parts down. I'm going to kind of explain a little bit of what's happening. And then also kind of translate it into what could God be speaking to us as a church family through this. All right? You guys ready? Joshua 5? If you're there, say, I'm there. Good. Joshua 5. Let's read 1 through 9. It'll be up here on the screen. It says, as soon as the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Let me pause. What an intro. <laughs> Our God is mighty. He is undefeatable and he is with his people and it causes the enemy to tremble. Isn't that great news that you serve a mighty God? You're always on the winning team forever. <laughs> I like to win. Anybody else like to win? And I'm just glad I'm on the winning team forever. I'm on God's team. Verse 2. 
At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Somebody else can pronounce that formula. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. So there we go. There's a beginning part of Joshua chapter 5. All right. Now let me kind of summarize what's going on here. Okay. So in this passage, the circumcision was symbolic to the, the rolling away, the cutting off, removing the reproach of what? Did you see that? Of Egypt. Okay. Egypt was a place that they had lived for about 400 years where they were in slavery and in bondage. Okay, also, circumcision, you need to understand this as you look at it throughout the Old Testament, and it's referenced a few times in the New Testament, but the circumcision of the heart. But really what this was is a unique, a very unique command to the Israelite people. Okay, and it's, it's what made them, one of the many things that made them different from all the surrounding nations because God wanted them to stand out. He wanted them to look different. He wanted it to be known that the God of Israel is a different and mighty and powerful God that wins every time. And also, he, it was a corporate command, not just to one guy, Abraham, not just to one guy, Joshua. It was a corporate thing so that they could have a shared sense of identity and community amongst each other. And then lastly, this was really a calling back the people of Israel to what they committed to at the beginning, which I would say it this way, a culture of obedience. At the end of the day, this command to circumcise is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. But there was this culture of obedience to God, no matter if it made sense or not. They, God wanted the people that obeyed him, that followed him. And thankfully, Abraham did when the Lord spoke this to him. So what could this mean? Let me summarize what I think this could mean for the people and a phrase I would use. And you're going to notice a lot of C's on the screen, just that alliteration. I do that a lot of times. But here's what I think God was doing through this first part. He was, through this whole circumcision section, he was creating the culture. Creating the culture. Really, more accurately, though it didn't start with C, is he was reestablishing the culture. And on, in summary, that culture was a culture of obedience to God. No matter what he says, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to trust him. So why don't you leave that up there just for a minute. So what could, this, what could this mean for us? If God is speaking Joshua 5 to us, what could this mean for our church family? Can I believe he wants to just reestablish and recreate the right culture of obedience to God? But let me break on a couple of these things. One, it could mean that there's some of us in this room where the Lord just wants you to know that your old ways, the old Egypt, the things that you feel in bondage to, that he wants to roll those away. That today you can have a fresh start. No matter how your summer was, no matter how the beginning of 2021 has been, no matter how last year was, 
In Jesus, you can have a fresh start. The Lord wants to roll away, to cut away the Egypt, the things that make us feel bound and heavy and in slavery. He wants to roll those things away and cut those things off for us. The Lord has a fresh start in store for many of us in this room, I believe, this morning. Secondly, just as circumcision was a thing that produced a sense of uh, shared commonality and community, I just believe the Lord wants us, again, to identify as a strong community, as a sense of family, where we don't come just on Sundays as a bunch of individuals kind of solid off doing our own thing, but there's a sense of community and spiritual family among us. And now I want to make, I might go on a little bunny trail here, but it's a planned bunny trail, so hopefully I don't get too off. But I wanted just to comment on something here. There is, a, there is a sense of community and togetherness by simply being a child of God. Do you guys know that? Any believer across the world, we have the same father. Isn't that amazing? From, from Africa to Asia to South America, we have the same father, and that is beautiful. And we are part of a large family called the body of Christ, Okay. And I just believe that as a Christian, it is pretty amazing just simply to be a Christian, to be a child of God. It's pretty awesome. And there's a sense of identity that we find there. But beyond that, there's also a sense of belonging and community that God wants us to have, not on just a global scale, but on a local scale. Okay? Let me give you a little example, even just through reading Joshua. I read Joshua 5 several times, but also finished out the rest of the book of Joshua over the last week or so. And you see, there's these, these commands the, to the people of Israel, okay? And they follow those commands. But as you keep reading the book of Joshua, God begins to speak specific things to different tribes within Israel. How many tribes were in Israel? Anybody know? Twelve. You could say twelve and a half or thirteen because Joseph had two sons. Anyways, I don't get into that. Let's just stick with twelve, okay? <laughs> okay, so he had, and he goes on in detail, I'm reading all these things, about specific assignments, specific land specific leadership, specific family, specific callings and assignments that he had for each of these tribes. And working together, they made up the people of Israel. And I just think that's a beautiful analogy and picture of the church today. We don't replace Israel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that we, the church at large, have these amazing promises and calls from God, but also the Lord gives specific assignments to smaller groups of local believers. And so here's a, a a, a, a trending thing I keep hearing that I just want us to realign again and commit to what does the word actually say about this? Like we celebrate the whole body of Christ. We never compete. We never criticize. We never complain about anybody in our family because you're, you're talking about the father's other children. <laughs> you know that? When you, drive, when you think negative thoughts about another church in town, you're thinking negative thoughts about the father's other children. We don't want to do that, right? We are for the body of Christ. No matter if they do things differently, no matter if we believe things a little differently, we are for the body of Christ because that's God's family. But we, we advance the kingdom together, but I think most effectively and most biblically, we advance the kingdom together by contributing and being a part of a local family. Not just kind of hopping from here to there, just thankful that you're part of the kingdom, but no, actually committed and contributing. I mean, half of this church showed up early this morning to help put on this service, and that is incredible, and that's amazing. That's us being a family together. And so my, my encouragement for all of us, especially for those that are just checking us out this morning, no matter where you land, just, just encourage you to plug into a family of believers where you can not just receive and attend, but you can contribute and serve and give and use the gifts that God's given you. Is this making sense? This is how God advances his kingdom. Now, let me go back one more time here to just the big picture of what God could be doing through this first part of creating the culture. 
And what could this mean for us? I think for us, the Lord wants us to, to recommit again to the simple culture of obedience to the main things, the main values that God has given us, which you'll see, it's been on the screen, the little Antioch logo thing we've kind of put up there, is we are committed to three main things, pursuing Jesus, loving each other, and living on mission. So let me, I'm going to go back, this is going to be review, but I want to go back to these main things, and here's what I want you thinking. If you've heard these things before, don't check out. I want you to say, okay, Lord, how am I living this out? How am I doing in this. And of course, there's grace. We all have areas that we will need to grow in. But I want you thinking, okay, we are committed to these values of God's kingdom. So how are we doing with living this out? So this first one, pursuing Jesus. Anybody think that Jesus is worth pursuing? Me too. I love him. He's amazing. Who's thankful that Jesus pursued you? Yes, me too. So Mark 12, 30 through 31, it's the greatest commandment, okay? It's where we get this pursuing and this loving of Jesus. It says, um, let me go over here so I can see it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. So we are a people committed to this, loving and pursuing God with everything, all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. We're a people committed to loving him, not just with reading the Bible, but with the lifestyle that we live committed to purity, to integrity, to humility, to holiness. We are committed to loving others really well. We are people that are hungry for more of him in our daily lives. We are people that want him more than anything else. And one of the main ways that we like to say we live this out is by just consistently meeting with and spending time with God in his presence every single day. My encouragement to, to people is to, to spend the first few minutes every day. It doesn't have to be the first few minutes, but I encourage the first few minutes every day, just connecting with God, thanking him for the day, reading his word, building that relationship with him. And here's what happens. When we commit to being with him, we get transformed. We get changed. And this week, I just heard from a couple people within our church family just how they have been impacted by just meeting with God. I think of stories like Sam and Keith, who when he jumped in, he wasn't really consistently connecting with God. But through connecting with Jesus, he has been set free from addictive behaviors. He's been restored in a place of purity. And I mean, praise God, he even got an amazing wife, <laughs> you know, and, the, and just being a part of this community. So I'm so thankful. But I also think of joy and um, I think of her story and her testimony, and it was just so good. I want to read some of this to you guys. In short, you know, you can ask Joy later for the, the full story if I butcher any of this, so sorry in advance. But you did write this out because I didn't want to mess it up. So, and, and before she met us, she had she'd been following the Lord since she was about 13. So years of following the Lord, but never really consistently spent time with him. And there's a lot of hard things going on in her life when she, when she met our church family, and she was mad and angry at God. Then she was encouraged to talk to God about all the things that she's been wrestling with. And let me uh, read to you guys just kind of her testimony of how the, being with God, pursuing Jesus has transformed her life. She says, I've been spending time with God pretty much every day since I was encouraged to do so. By being in his presence, I found joy in the middle of a pandemic. He revealed to me my identity was placed in the way people saw me, how I interacted with others. He showed me that my identity needed to be placed in him. Only then would I be satisfied. By pursuing Jesus, I learned where I needed to grow, what I needed to do. He revealed to me the people I needed to forgive and the past that I needed to let go of. And then he says, when I was overwhelmed in life, I would pursue Jesus. She said, by pursuing him, he is constantly on my mind. He helps me encourage others and see beyond just myself. In conflict, I feel the gentle hand of, each, of the Lord guiding my conversations. 
This is because we know each other. We have spent time together. We have taken the time to wrestle through hard things together, celebrate victories together, and just abide with one another. Jesus has become my best friend. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Let me close, close it out with this. I always struggle with finding my worth. I believed I wasn't worth much. Every day when I spend time with God, he reminds me that I am beautiful and that he loves me. He says that I am seen, known, and wanted by him. We read Psalm 139 where it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows it very well. He reminds me that I am his work, his creation, and I have worth and I have value. Isn't that amazing? And it all just flows out of that place of just getting with him every day where he reminds us of the truths that radically transform our lives. So thankful. You guys know just seeing the fruit coming out of Joy's life. It's amazing to see. So that's what he's called us to, to be a people that pursue Jesus. And when we do, our lives get transformed. Let's look at this other one, this other value, loving each other. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It'll be on the screen. This is a familiar passage for those of you that jumped into life group. And when we talk about loving each other, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at the early church, how they committed to the apostles' doctrine. They prayed together. They fellowshiped with one another. They provided for each other's needs. They got in, in the weeds with other people's hardships in life, and they encouraged, and they prayed for, and they supported each other. And so for us, what does this look like? We want to live this out in real community. We want to really know each other. We want to live life together. We want to provide for each other's needs. We want to sacrifice for another, and we want to fight for each other and fight for unity and for peace, not just peace out when things get hard or we have a conflict, but now we're in it with relationship with another fighting for each other. I, I think of a couple of stories. I think of JP, mighty man of God, runs sounds for us almost every Sunday. I just think of his story, and, and uh, you can ask him later for more details of it, but before, uh, not, not too many years ago, he wasn't really wholeheartedly pursuing the Lord, and, but he still had this desire in him to see, to, to believe that like, Acts 2 was possible, a group of people that really pursued the Lord. And his little prayer in this season was, Lord, where are your people? Where are your people? Where are your people? He shows up to our house, I think it was Labor Day weekend of 2019, there's about 50 or 60 people in our house ready to worship God passionately, and they're about his age, and he's like, we are your people? Okay, I see some people. And since being a part of our community, he's been such a blessing and a servant and just an encouragement to everybody around him. We're thankful for you, JP, and God has just been continuing to transform his life. Another testimony and story I, I, I love to tell about loving each other is you guys remember Dylan and Michelle Slaughter? Remember those amazing people? For those that don't know them, uh, they led our kids' ministry for a little bit. And uh, just a few months ago, they felt led by the Lord to go back to Texas where they had, had lived before and to pursue some other opportunities there. And we blessed them in the journey. But one amazing way that we were able to send them off is um, life group communities, really you guys in this room, rallied around them to help bless them with a need that they had. A uh, little backstory, Dylan had been working hard for years to pay off debt. He was getting odd jobs. He was working late hours, committed to getting out of debt as quick as he could, and he was working very hard. On the last Sunday they were here, we were able, the church family, to present him a check or them a check for over $6,000 to help cover the rest of their debt and to be able to pay that off before they moved down to Texas. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that encouraging? It's a testimony of you guys living out this Acts 2 community. And what's funny about that is I actually had him preach that Sunday, and I actually, we gave him that gift right before he started his message. So the first half, he was just in tears the whole time. It was beautiful, beautiful mess. It was awesome. We didn't post that message online. Just kidding, we did. It was great. It was great. But this is us living like a community. We can do this in 2021, just like they did in the early church. 
And then lastly, we were people committed to living on mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It'll be on the screen. This is some of Jesus' final words before he ascended to the Father. He said, hey, I have got, I've got authority. I've got all authority in heaven and earth that's been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we want to be a people that take that seriously, and we partner with the mission of God in our lives. So what can that look like? It looks like us first resolving to live a lifestyle where we don't solely focus on just ourselves or just our friend groups, but we are committed to look outside of that, serving and caring for and ministering to those that are in need around us. Even more practically, it looks like us being learning, learning. We don't expect you to just get it immediately, but learning to be intentional with those that are around you and sharing your faith. And invite them in to experience the goodness and presence of Jesus, whether that's coworkers or whether that's other classmates or people in your neighborhood or your family members. It also means taking the bold risk to get out of our comfort zones and leave American soil and go be a part of the all the nations part and partnering with what God's doing all over the earth. You guys know God is moving in America, but you also know he's moving everywhere else too, right? Yes? Come on. And it just it is something that really I want us to continue to enter into is that we are committed to what God's doing all over the earth, not just in my world as well. So this, this summer we got to do that. I think I would say corporately for the first time we were able to send two mission trips to the Middle East. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of worldwide crisis, there was a group of people that said, listen, Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it. We want your name to be known. And so people raised a bunch of money and went to the middle of the Middle East Get to being around a culture that's uh, in a climate that's very hot. It was very hot. <laughs> you think Arkansas is hot? You think Texas is hot? This place was hot. Okay, very hot. And we got to see a different people that thought differently than us, that looked differently than us. But as you look around, you see this world that needs Jesus. He, and Jesus loves them so much. And so we were able to sow seeds and, and um, make disciples and uh, talk to people about studying the scripture. And it was an awesome time. There's also ways that we live this out, and I'm encouraged by this story that's continuing in the process uh, of a girl named Kelly in our church, and we don't want to just be sent out to short-term things, but we want to awaken the dreams and the callings in people's life and send people out long-term to say yes and amen to what God has called for their lives, and Kelly has been a part of our church for, I guess, a few months now. seems like years, but we'll call it a few months because that's really what happened. She, a decade ago plus, she had this uh, desire and this sense and this calling that God wanted her to be on the mission field. And after a long journey, I said decades, of doors shutting, people discouraging her in the dreams that she has, a couple years ago, she started to feel this sense, this dream awaken again. And then in February, she followed her brother to a little life group, came to church, started getting involved at our church. She heard about a mission trip to the Middle East. She's like, okay, I think I'm supposed to go on that. So somehow you got on that trip before we knew you. And, uh, and she, as she's there in the Middle East, she's like, this dream is reawakening. And God's called me to be here. And so she's on a process and a journey, hopefully of less than two years from now, going to be sent out long term to go fulfill the destiny and the calling and the dream that God's put in our heart to be a part of us, training and sending people all over the world to advance the kingdom. And then encouraging and exciting, we are seeing us live this stuff out and just by a small group of people that are willing to say yes to Jesus, God can fulfill his purposes in the earth. And I just love being a part of that. And I want to invite us again to say, hey, are we, we, I want us to be a part of this mission. So let me keep going here as I close it up. 
I want to just close out the rest of Joshua chapter 5 and see just a couple other things. And then we're going to end with some communion, taking communion together and worshiping the Lord. So look at Joshua um, chapter 5 verse 10. We're going to look at this next part about a few words about Canaan. Verse 10 through 12, it says, While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So what's going on here? For 40 years, you know what the Israelites got used to? They would wake up and there would be manna on the ground. They'd wake up, there'd be manna on the ground. And what's so interesting is that if they tried to hoard the manna, it would go rotten the next day. So they just had enough for the day. It says literally the manna stopped right before they're about to enter the promised land. So what's God speaking? In order for them to get food now, you know what they had to do? More than just wake up and look at the ground. They had to get to work. They had to put their hand to the plow, so to speak. They had to get a little bit more dirty, a little bit more in the weeds. They, they cultivated the land. Would you put that slide up? I think this is a good summary of maybe what the Lord was doing through these people. He was teaching them how to cultivate the land. So what could this mean for us as we kind of go into this new season? I mean, I think a lot, and I really want you to just ask God, what could this mean for me? What could this mean for us? But I would say for us... It's time again to commit and say, hey, we are going to, we're going to go to work. We are going to cultivate the land. We aren't going to just, we're going to wait on God. We're going to be patient, but we're going to also realize that he has empowered us with his spirit to go out into Northwest Arkansas, to go out into the world and to, in a sense, cultivate the land. The spirit of God that is here and present that you feel on Sunday mornings that thankfully a group of servant-hearted people help kind of facilitate this environment. That same spirit is in you tomorrow at work and in you tomorrow at school and is in you when you're in your neighborhood. And I want us to be a people that we go out and we cultivate the land. We go out and we bring the gospel. We bring the kingdom. We bring the presence of God everywhere that we go where it's not just a few people that can facilitate a setting where God is honoring glorified, but we all are equipped to go out and make disciples and to cultivate the land. Are you guys tracking with me? I think a good summary of how do we cultivate the land is we make disciples. Everybody say make disciples. And it's simply making disciples is, looks like similar to what Jesus said, just who can you help teach to follow Jesus? Who in your life can you teach? If all of us have one or two names that are not in this room right now that we can be praying for, that we can be intentional with, that's the way that we cultivate the land and we go and we see the fruit that God wants to do. The result of the Israelites cultivating the land is, was multiplication. It was harvest. They no longer lived with just enough for the day. They lived with more than enough. And it multiplied out. So I believe maybe the Lord is entering us into a season of that. All right, last but not least, let's close it out with this last portion. I love this. I love that this chapter ends with this encounter that Joshua has. Look at verse 13 through 15. It says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. 
Let me pause for a second. I just love this. You ever ask anybody, like, hey, do you like, what do you like? You like Canes, or do you like Chick-fil-A better? Do you like, and then you just say, they say, no. <laughs> That's annoying, right? <laughs> okay. Do you like this better? Like, look at what's happening here. Are you for us or for our adversaries? He says, no. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And look at Joshua's response. He fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? I think through this, this encounter that, that Joshua has with this commander of the Lord's army, it really sticks out to me that the Lord wanted Joshua to know that though God had amazing promises for the people of Israel, God was bigger than the people of Israel. Though he wanted them to go and obey him and take this land and seek it for, he wanted them to know, I'm above all that. I'm bigger than you, Joshua. I'm bigger than even my people. I'm bigger even than my promises. I am bigger than this. So what could God be speaking to us? I think it's simple. He wants us to know that he's bigger than us. I want to fulfill the things that God has called us to. But the only way that we're going to be able to sustain what he's called us to is if we know he's bigger. And that what he's called us to doesn't become the focus, but he remains the focus. Is this making sense? And here's another thing. Look at verse 15. It says, The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is what? Holy. And Joshua did so. The place where you are standing is holy. It's similar to what I was just saying about God being bigger, but this big God that we serve, he is holy. And there's a, a kind of a summarized phrase of what I think the Lord might have been doing with this people of Israel, and it's on the, on the screen, but I think through this encounter, he's consecrating the people. Consecrate just simply means like to make holy, to set apart, to, to remind this people that they are serving a holy God. There are things to do. There's land to be cultivated. There's a culture to be established. But really, it's not about us. It's not about this. We need to take this seriously, but we're, it's a holy God that we're serving. And he's the one that's going to bless and breathe on and give life to anything that we pursue. And we need him. He is holy, holy, holy. And I think his, his character and his nature and his holiness, I think, is one of the reasons why next week I want to enter into this series of worthy is the lamb because I want us to remember that we serve a really really holy and a big and a mighty God so let me read let me close it out with this I'm going to read this a little section from Revelation 5 it'll be on the screen so you don't really have to turn there but Revelation chapter 5 the band's going to come on up as we close it out here and I want us thinking about this this holiness of God who he is and that he's so worthy of our lives, and then we're going to take a minute to take communion together as we close out the service. So here it is, Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. It says, with this, this picture of heaven, it says, there are many that sang with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
Worthy is the Lamb. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And if you get back up, verse 9, it says, Worthy are you, Lord, to take the scroll, open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our yes. He is holy. And I want you to see this, especially as we're about to take communion. The very first phrase after worthy is a Lamb, it's two times in Revelation 5. It says, worthy is a Lamb that was what? Slain. One of the main reasons Jesus is so worthy of our lives is because he died for us, that we could live. His blood was shed for us. It says, by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. His love is amazing. His blood covers our sins, and I just want to be in a room full of people that are so thankful for a, for a God that would do that for us and lay his life down and be slain for us. So this is how we're going to close it out, just meditating on the holiness and the worth of Jesus, and we're going to take communion together. So if you look under your chair, you'll find a little cup, hopefully. hold it in your hand just for a few minutes here and I'll give us some instructions of when to take it. But as we're waiting, I just want to encourage you to just continue to just focus on the Lord. Don't get distracted by the people around you. This is a holy moment. Every time we do this, take communion together, it's a holy moment. It's remembering the most beautiful, most sacrificial display of love that's ever happened on the earth. It's holy. It's amazing. So just if it helps you, you can take a minute to just kind of close your eyes and just picture what Jesus has, has done for you by dying on the cross. Knowing that all of your sins, every mistake you have ever made from 20 years ago or from 20 minutes ago, Jesus took shed to wash you and wash me clean. And by that blood, we are ransomed to God. So before we take communion, I want you to just keep your eyes closed just for a minute. I just want to ask a question here. It's going to repeat some of the simple truths of what Jesus did. Jesus died on a cross because this person on the planet has sinned against God and there was a just penalty for our sins that needed to be paid. We deserve that penalty, but because of God's great love for us, he got on a cross and took that penalty for us so that we could be forgiven of all of our sin and we could be washed clean from all of our shame and no longer do we have to feel distance from God. We could be united with him in close fellowship and relationship. I just want to ask a question to this room. There's anybody in here where you've not accepted what Jesus did for you, if you've not said, I believe you, Jesus, that you took my personal sin on the cross, and 
I give you my life. I give you my trust. I give you my faith. If there's anybody in this room or you haven't made that conscious decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. If that is you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you want to lift up your hand as well, this is a sign of surrender to God. You can, but if that is you, you can pray something really simple like this. Jesus, sinned and I deserve death and punishment but thank you that you took it from me. I put my faith and my trust in you. I receive the washing of your blood, the cleansing of your blood and I receive your life now in me. Thank you also that you rose from the dead. You defeated death. You defeated the power of sin. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me So he took the cup, and after supper, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you're ready, go ahead and take of the cup. no shame. There is no condemnation. There is no heaviness. There is no weight anymore. We are free by the power of your blood. And not only are we free from sin and shame, but Lord, you give us victory over every attack of the devil. You said that by your blood, we overcome. We overcome the accusations of the enemy, and we are free, and we are victorious. So we thank you, Jesus, for your blood. And every time we do this, we proclaim that you are Lord you're coming again. We love you, Jesus. So let's close it out this morning just in worship, declaring that he is holy and that he's worthy again. And I also want to invite some of our life group leaders um, to come up to the front as well. They want to just make themselves available to pray over anybody in this room that just needs prayer this morning. 
Maybe you just need to recommit again to living out these simple values of God's kingdom and you say, I'm, I'm in again. This is not a commitment to our church. This is a commitment to wholeheartedly following the Lord and saying, I'm in. Maybe you just need to recommit again and say, I, I believe God is holy and I want to live with the reverence and the holiness of who God is. Or really, if you need anything else this morning, if you need prayer for anything, these folks are here and they would love to pray over you. So just go walk up to them. So let's stand to our feet. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We thank you that you're worthy. We thank you that you're holy. As we respond this morning, would you just do something fresh in our hearts? Remind us of how worthy the Lamb of God is that was slain. Remind us of how holy you are. We bless you this morning.